I'm Jay Ellison, and this is the Transom Podcast. It's rare anymore that we take the time to listen to hour-long radio stories, but I hope you'll listen to this one, maybe twice. It's an epic journey, a coming-of-age story, and a portrait of this country. It's big-hearted, wild, innocent, and wise. I co-produced it, but the credit goes to Andrew Forstoffel, a first-time radio producer who set out at age 23 to walk across America, east to west, 4,000 miles, with a sign hung on him that said, Walking to Listen. Andrew didn't intend to make a radio story. He just wanted to listen to people. You'll hear in Andrew's interviews his quality of attention. He's a magnet for stories and the desire to connect. Listen. From the public radio website, transom.org, this is Walking Across America, Advice for a Young Man. It's produced by Andrew Forstoffel with me, Jay Allison. walking this road and it is so beautiful <clears throat> I don't want this road to end hey Bill here hey I had a fellow uh, he was walking, he's walking across the country like a dummy, and it's cold weather, and I was going to put him up there at the uh, barbecue shed, but I, I got thinking about it, and it was warm out here in my shop, so I just brought him on down to my shop. He looked like a clean-cut guy, and I didn't want no bums staying here, but I believe he'll be all right. Huh? He's just walking across the country. He said he's going to... Where are you going? Wind New up Orleans at. and then uh, California. He's going. He's going to walk from New Orleans, and he's going on to California, and he's just bumming around. Look like his pants are pretty clean. <laughs> How, where'd you come from? Philadelphia. He come from Philadelphia. Got to West Point this morning and walked around here. Uh, yeah. What's your name? Andrew Forstoffel. Andrew Forstoffel. Now, for, ain't that a name? Andrew Forstoffel. Yeah, you ever heard of that? <laughs> Forstoffel? Now, that's a crazy name, ain't it? That's different. We ain't got nobody around here that name. <laughs> I frisked him down. He ain't got no gun on him or no pistol. <laughs> huh? I don't know why he's doing it. He's just crazy, I think. I found myself walking across America kind of by accident. I took a job right out of college, but three months into it, I got fired. I didn't have much money, didn't have a plan, so I figured I'd start walking. I'd walk out my back door near Philadelphia, and then down to New Orleans, and, if I was up for it, all the way to San Francisco. It would be 4,000 miles, and I wouldn't take rides. You might think anyone who does something like this knows why they're doing it. Or you might think they're just crazy. I'm not crazy, but when I left home, I didn't exactly know why I was doing it either. It's been months now since I walked, and soon it'll be years. I've been told these years get faster and faster as you go, and before you know it, you're right where you thought you'd never be, at the end of the road. Okay, so... <clears throat> October 14th, 2011. Having my last breakfast at home. I feel my, my, my chest right now just is like racing. How do you feel, Mom? <laughs> <laughs> I'm mad at you. <laughs> I feel um, like I'm being blown open again. Like when you were born. So something big is happening. And, you know, like it or not, Andrew, it is about 
breaking this hold that death has on us. I mean, it, it, you might not be thinking that, but you're you're yeah. taking risks. I, no, I feel that. And it's something, and it, and we, you know, oh man, you're you're, you're working me hard. <laughs> I walked out my back door that day with a 50-pound backpack, a mandolin, and a sign that said, Walking to Listen. I was on the train tracks, and about a half mile from my house, a car pulled off on the side of the road nearby. It was Bob, our landlord. I couldn't believe the coincidence. It's not a coincidence, he said. Your mom's a wreck back at the house. You don't have to do this. When I told him I was going to keep walking, he pulled a big knife out of his pocket and gave it to me. Don't trust anybody. He said. Seven miles later, I saw some guys on the train tracks up ahead. There was no one else in sight, not even in shouting distance. I felt Bob's knife in my pocket. They were four Latino men, and when I got to them, they looked me up and down and asked what I was doing. I told them I was walking across America, which sounded ridiculous because I'd been walking for about two hours. But they gave me apple juice and cookies. And when I played a song for them on the mandolin, they gave me some vodka too. Well, Martin, new friends. Yeah, new friends. New friends. Out of nowhere, it started raining on us, and the one named Martin said I could come with them to escape the storm. I thought, what the hell? Why not? I'm walking across America. I followed them into the woods, and their camp was behind a shopping center I'd been to a lot. We waited out the rain in the shacks they'd built there. When it cleared up, the men gave me some homegrown chilies and cactus fruit. Martin shook my hand. "God bless you," he said, "and be careful. Sleep with a knife by your side." I am in Rising Sun, Maryland, day two. My legs, my hips, feel as if they have some sort of hot iron in them. I've got ungodly blisters on both heels now. I was on the highway, the only person in sight who was not in a car. But it, it was just, you know, I was in a place where it felt like no one else was. Uh, wow. What am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? You'll know who you are. Because so that's what you're looking for anyway. Yeah? <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> this is just a vehicle that you chose to yeah. find out, you know. You are at a stage in your life you can either go to work and tie yourself down to make bukus of money and uh, have a life that... You center all around work. But live a little bit. Enjoy it. And it'll be a transformation when you get from Pennsylvania to California, over where you're going, it will be a transformation that you have done a lot of soul searching. Mm -hmm. But you've got a lot to learn. You've got an education and a degree, but you still got a lot <laughs> to learn. I grew up in a pretty happy family, or at least it seemed that way. Everything was clear-cut and simple, including my parents. They were good people. They didn't make mistakes, and they had all the answers. So I couldn't believe it when they divorced. The way things went down, I completely lost faith in my dad. Everything I counted on, including him, was gone, and everything I thought I knew seemed wrong. I was a 14-year-old boy, and I didn't know where I could go to get my questions answered anymore. Walking across the country, I'd be listening to a lot of people. I figured the more people I listened to, the better my chances were that I'd hear what I had to know. Amen. 
pretty good. If you could go back and taking all of what you've learned in, in your life, tell your 23-year-old self something, yeah. what might you say? What might be one of... Yeah, I wouldn't worry so much. I used to worry myself to death. And uh, now I realize, you know, the things you worry about, how many of them come true? Very seldom. I go barefoot more. I uh, I wouldn't be nice. I'd be I wouldn't be the nice little southern girl. I'd be a bitch. <laughs> All right. I wasn't passive aggressive. I was just passive. <laughs> the world is so big and so wide and beautiful and exciting. There's so much out there. I even skydived. I did. I did it twice, and the second time I did it, I knew, not that I'd ever been afraid of dying, I just never have, I hadn't thought a whole lot about it, but there was something about voluntarily stepping out of that airplane and falling through the sky. It's a total and absolute trust And I think that kind of goes in with the travel, the unknown, the maybe a little bit risky, but it's the unknown, the uncharted, the unadvertised, and it's real. In the Gobi Desert, these are real people living real lives. And the icebergs and the penguins and the, the sea and the how clear and beautiful it is. Did you know that ice sings? Ice sings. It has a, a song and a voice. And it has different colors. I never knew ice had different colors. And you don't know that or appreciate it until you're there. Seeing it and hearing it and... And there are just so many wonderful places in the world. And I love going there. And it's kind of like, well, if you get swept away in a river, you got to cross on a four-wheel drive. Oh, well, you know. At least you weren't, didn't trip and fall over your vacuum cleaner. <laughs> I have this angst about vacuum cleaners. I... I, th- I think when I leave this world, it will not be tripping over a vacuum cleaner, if you got that. It may be falling out of a plane over the Serengeti into the Great Migration. <laughs> and you know, at, at 76, what have you got to lose, really? It's uh, right around 10 o'clock. Uh, spent the whole day walking. I started to feel really nauseous. And sure enough, right around 4.30, I couldn't take it anymore, so I zipped into the woods, set up the tent, walked about 100 yards away and just vomited everywhere got back in the tent and then it came on again and I had to rush out a couple more times to just let it all out it was I haven't been sick like that in a long time all the doubts were going through there it's like Man, you're going to keep doing this? You're listening to Walking Across America, Advice for a Young Man. For more about all the people you're hearing in this program, visit transom.org. More coming up. Johnny Papa, yeah, sounds okay, good. So here we go. <laughs>
When you're walking across the country, you get a lot of questions. Where do you sleep and what do you eat? How much money do you have? What are you carrying? Are you taking rides or walking the whole way? Why are you walking? So, for the record, I planned as little as possible. Although I never expected it, most of the time somebody would offer to put me up for the night. When that didn't happen, I slept outside, under bridges or in the woods, wherever no one would see me. I figured my $3,000 in savings would get me through a whole year if I didn't stay in hotels or eat in restaurants much. I had a food bag I kept stocked with jerky, tuna fish, and PB&J. But people cooked for me all the time, and I never ate so well. In my pack, I carried camping gear, my mandolin, an old laptop, a camera, and a recorder for taping interviews. Maps, no smartphone. My policy was not to take rides that would shorten the walk. And as for why? Well, I wanted to listen. After all, I was wearing a sign that said, Walking to Listen. And people told me about their lives, what they'd done, what they'd wished they'd done, whatever they thought I needed to hear. In Louisiana, a guy who let me camp out behind his trailer told me, All you're doing is reading a book, just with your feet. Well, one good thing, you make a lot of good memories. Oh, yeah, true. And uh, I know true. we've got so many, we just forgot some of them once in a while. You forget Some nothing. surface, but uh, mm-hmm. all good memories, like I told you earlier about us even going out in the woods, just hunting old bottles and just things like that. It's just good time-killing fun. Was there ever a moment where you felt overwhelmed, like, you know, you didn't know how you were going to do oh, it? Oh, yeah. Yep, that was a lot. That doesn't stop either. We're back at that point again right now. It's funny, isn't it? I told him the other day, I said, you know, I feel like I'm still just a little kid. We just got married because life doesn't change that much. You know, It does, but it doesn't. Not really. It's all according to how you look at it, I guess. And we look at it like we just like each other. We like being around each other. And, and that does make a difference. But you do have to put up with a lot. But... It's worth it, isn't it? Yeah. Every bit of it. Look how far it gets you. Before you know it, it's done turned around and you're there. You know, things change so quick. And it does. It seems like yesterday. But it does. You'll see. You'll see. You will see. Because you're interested now. You've got a lot you're going to see. you got a long way to go and a lot to do. These are the things running through my mind right now. What do I want? What do I want to do? How do I want to be? What is happiness? What should I believe about myself and people? And am I gonna walk the distance to California? Is that really what this is about? <sighs> I just I, I just want to raise him to... I mean, if he wants to play sports, play sports. If he wants to sit there and be like me, mechanic, welder, whatever, hey, I'm not going to sit here and force you into something you're not, you don't want. Why? Do you have... Any any fears as a parent? Honestly, no. Take it day by day. I mean, would you have fears? I think for me, in some ways, maybe it's kind of like this walk. It's like, I had a lot of fears before, but now that I'm doing it, I don't have too many fears. I think it'd be the same with the, if I have a kid, you know, it'd be like... Well, and the thing about it is, you know, find out you had a kid right now, you know, it... it It'd make you want to drop everything and go back home. That's cool, man. I, part of me, part of me feels happy doing what I'm doing, but it's not how I want to spend my life. You know, like doing I want what? just kind of like just living alone, kind of wandering, searching, traveling. I love it all, but it feels in the end a little bit empty. <clears throat> you know? Oh, it it, it is, but. You know, 
after you've done walked this whole way and have met the different people and learned so much about everything and then took in all this knowledge at the end it's going to make you a different person it is it going to make you a better person a worse person yes no maybe but everything that everybody tells you it might be able to help you out to become this person a better father a better husband uh whatever Walking, 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 walking. Here's a little lumber truck. The lumber trucks have been zooming by on this road. It's a tiny, narrow little road. Oh, two cars now. All right, got a honk. That is awesome. <laughs> so little things like that that make my day, make these walking days. He was driving the Humvee, and there was a roadside bomb, or IED. Yeah. He got the worst of it. His leg, he's kind of like a cool dude, so he, was, he would drive with his leg propped up on the steering wheel, mm -hmm. and he'd, you know, just cruise in. Mm -hmm. And I guess when it blew up, his leg had gotten tangled, and in his words, um, it was like a noodle. Like, when he woke up, it was completely, like, backwards and flopped over his, like, shoulder. Um, but eventually, a year and a half later, infection set in, so he ended up having to amputate. He was just, he was sort of, he was the life of the party. He was funny. He was outgoing. He was lively, optimistic. I mean, he just lit up the room, and that was the thing that even in, when I was 13, that was what attracted me to him because I just felt like, you know, I was new, and you have this person that has all these friends, and he just seems so happy and bouncy, and he was just great. And when he came back, it was like slowly but surely you could just see like his soul almost being sucked out of him if it hadn't been already because, um, you know, he started out fairly optimistic about his injuries, but eventually, you know, we had been in and out of hospitals for years because it just wasn't ending. And, you know, he started to get mean and he didn't care about much anymore. He wouldn't bathe for weeks. He started getting addicted to his pain medications that he was on all the time. And he just, I don't know, it's like he got lost somewhere in Iraq and never really came back. And again, it's just, it's... When he first died, all I could do, like, when I first found out about it after realizing it had even happened, because I'd talked to him the night before, and it was just, everything sounded good. He sounded like he was getting things together, and everything was going to maybe get better, and, you know, finally a little ounce of hope, and then I find out he died. Didn't really believe it. <laughs> yeah. Once I did, the next day I was at my friend's condo, and I just sat out in the sun, no sunscreen or anything, and just laid there and was, like, hoping that the wind was him or, like, the bird flying by was him, and I was trying to, you know, just hopefully he would hear me because I just felt like I had to say I'm sorry. Sorry. There's a part of me that's like, why did he have to suffer for so long, and why did we have to treat each other the way that we did like, why couldn't it have just ended in Iraq and he would have been a hero and, you know, I would, we wouldn't have all these crazy times that, like, like all these struggles that didn't really, that didn't have to be there. I just didn't understand. Um, so, yeah, I had a lot of guilt, but I've come to terms with it for the most part. Because, again, I just feel like there's only so much you can do and someone dying doesn't change that. It doesn't make them perfect. Um... After everything, there's a part of me that's kind of shut off a little bit because um, there's, you know, a tiny fear. It's like the more people I get close to or the closer I get to someone, if they were to die, I would just hurt all over again. Or, and I know that's so morbid, but on a day-to-day -day basis, I just try to appreciate things. And I try to just, you know, if I want to meet someone on the side of the road, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> like, you know, if I want to go somewhere, you know, I just I try to appreciate everything, like sunsets or I mean everything and if you care about someone tell them um, don't leave anything behind that you wouldn't want someone to see if you were to die I mean, there's so many little lessons that yeah, you yeah. but I don't know I don't know what the big life lesson is but I definitely know to think before I speak and you know when I talk to people 
keep in mind that I might not talk to them again and is that what what I want to leave them with mm. or them to leave me with mm. and I don't know hey they call me Banjo Bill I loved the South, the swamps and the farmland, getting called baby and honey at the diners. It was winter, but the cold wasn't too bad. People were taking me in all the time, and it seemed like every day there was some moment of grace. There was another side too, though. A woman in Georgia told me I shouldn't walk through the next town because the whites had left, the help had stayed, and the southern black was a whole different animal than the northern black. This would happen a lot. People warning me about those others. They're not friendly like us. They'll shoot you for the shirt off your back. Don't trust them. I never knew how to deal with the prejudice, especially when it came from someone who took me into their home and fed me. More often than I'd like to admit, I wouldn't say anything. And I still feel ashamed of that. What I wish is that these people could have experienced what I did and seen that the people they warned me about were the very ones who took me in the next night and fed me and told me their stories and then warned me about the people further on down the road. So what do you what was it like back back in the old days? Oh god, honey. I done got old and forgetful. And I done forgot a lot I used to know about that stuff. But all I can tell you is it was scary. But I I, I never will forget we picking butter beans and Helping pick the vegetables in the garden for a white man, and the wife told us to go bring in some water. And we got the buckets and out the kitchen and went sailing through the hall to the well. Got the buckets full, and when we got back to the steps, he said, "The niggers, don't y'all come back up them steps, going around the house with that water to the kitchen." And we said, "Yes, sir." Now, what do you what do you think about those people who are so mean and hateful? What 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 do you feel about them? I I, I feel like this. They don't. They ain't looking for a great day. I'm looking for a great day. You know, when I see my Jesus face to face. So you you don't do evil for evil. They hate y'all. Y'all love them. And I thought, how how could I love somebody? Tell me, little nigga, don't you come back up them steps, go run high. Now, how could I love somebody, Lord? And he said, that's the rule. That's the golden rule. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And I got to do what he said. I got to love him. Miss Lou, was it ever hard for you to love thy neighbor as thyself? Yes, it, it was. It was hard. You know, they made this old song, I don't know if I forgot it, but serving the Lord will pay off, that's why. Do you have a favorite song? So, Do you have a favorite song that you like to sing? I, I have uh, two hymns, Amazing Grace, and I heard the voice of Jesus saying, Come unto me and rest. Lie down, thy weary one, lie down, thy head upon my breast. Now that was one of my favorite hymns. You said... One of your favorite hymns is Amazing Grace. Yes, sir. And that's one of mine, too. Is it? It is. And I was wondering if uh, if you still sing. and if I try. Would you like to sing it for me or no? I don't know if, how if, I would come out. If you'd like, I'd join you if, if that's, if that's okay. something you'd like. Oh, God. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved the red like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You didn't join me. Yeah, I'll join you this time. <laughs> Twas great that taught my heart to fear and great my fear really. How 
Grace is pouring on softness and compassion towards yourself and others as much as possible. Uh, you know, everyone has something divine to share, and you got to be listening for it. Because if you think, oh, this is, oh, that's one of those knucklehead, uh, those kind of kids, or that's, this is one of those, uh, those kind of people, then you're going to put them in a little box and miss out on the, the very real beauty that they have to share with you. What matters is, is if you're open to the blessing of what they're bringing in the unique moment, you're going to draw that out of them. You know what I mean? Like when you when you wield reality, like wield it in your breath and in your action, you demand it in the people that come into your experience. They can't help but uh, reflect this back to you, even if they are uh, zubu baba bad guy. You know what I mean? Like even if for a long time he's been bad, when he comes close like this, you know what I mean? He has to be in that heart space because that's what you're putting out there unconditionally, even to him, who is the boom boom baka. You know what I mean? Or whatever, you know, whatever name we put to the boogeyman, you know. You love him as he gets closer and he's he has to transcend and transform. <laughs> it's nice. You're listening to Walking Across America, Advice for a Young Man. For more about all the people you're hearing in this program, visit transom.org. More to come. I've been traveling, traveling. Yes or no? I saw my first Mesa in April in Central Texas. I couldn't believe it. I had walked into the West. I bought a used baby stroller so I could push my pack instead of carrying it. It looked strange, but this way I could carry all the water I needed. It was getting hot and there were long stretches between towns now. But without a backpack on my shoulders, it felt like I could walk forever. My friend gave me a hand crank radio, and I've been using it every once in a while, and we crank this baby up. There we go. So basically, there's one station. Yep, and that's all we got. Walking today, walking yesterday, even now, I mean, I, I feel I feel a contentment right now and a satisfaction, but there's a sadness too, just a feeling of aloneness. Across the Continental Divide just now. 
Through New Mexico and Arizona, I was walking 30, sometimes 40 miles a day. It was kind of magical to be so alone and tiny in this huge desert, day after day. I would lose myself out there, and I kind of liked it. But when somebody did take me in, I felt human again. So, you know, being, being an, an old man, an older man. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, being an older man. <laughs> and, and looking back, you know, what's it, what's it like to look back? And, you know, you were saying before, you know, you can't do some of the things you used to be able to do. Oh, yeah, it breaks my heart, too. Mm-hmm. To put your foot up in the stirrup and just step up on a horse, I can't do that anymore. And it's embarrassing to go lead a horse to a fence and get up on the fence and get on the horse. That, uh, you know, I hate to give up my independence that way. Dependent upon a fence to get me on a horse, that's dumb. But it's, it's, I was satisfied doing what I did because I always tried to be the best hand in the pasture or the best hand in the pen. I could, I could do the work and I could pick sick cattle and I could doctor them. But as far as, Wishing I could do it again? Sure I do. I wish I didn't get old. I wish my body would do what I tell it to. Yeah. And the reason the reason I ask is because, you know, God willing, I'll be there someday too. I don't understand. An older man. <clears throat> so and, and right get now, all the best you can out of your youth, out of your strength of your body and your mind, while you got the time. Because it hadn't been, I don't know, day before yesterday or something, I was in my 20s. You know, it just it just goes by. Whenever you're young and you're waiting to get 16 to get your driver's license, the years go by kind of like highline poles. And then you get that, and you get out, and you go to work and all that stuff, and then they get a little faster. They get like fence posts, and then pretty soon you get up 65 years old, and things change in your life so much, so drastically, of putting your feet where you want them and your body where it needs to be, it's it's gone and and time goes by like like cross ties on a railroad track. Just these days are gone. And so while you got it, use it. Your mind, your strength, your agility. Use it. You know, if I could call back 40 years, I'd, I'd hate to, you know, I'm looking forward to going to heaven. And I wouldn't want to go through all my youth again, but I miss what I could do. I miss it. If I got 10 more years of me, that'll be plenty. Be 83. I don't want to live past 83. I don't want to be where somebody has to take care of me or leave me around or slobbering on my belly in a rest home somewhere from a stroke. You know, I'd just horse fall on me and break my neck. I really would. So you come back through here 10 years from now, I may be around, I may not. If I ain't, you know, it's all all right. I've had a good life. I know 23. 73 looks pretty old. That's 50 years difference, son. 50 years makes a lot of difference. But I relate. I remember 23. That's when you know you're in Indian country. It's a long stretch of just desert, pretty much. Um, oh, but uh, it's it's amazing walking because I've never. I'm just gonna stop for a second. Besides the wind, there is nothing, no sound. And when the wind dies down, I, it's complete, <laughs> complete silence, like nothing I've heard before. Um, 
and it's incredible. I love it. It feels very freeing. You can sing as loud as you want. You can say whatever you want. You can pull your pants down and moon the wind. Dance around. Make a fool of yourself. I seem to say, throw cares away. Christmas is here, bringing good cheer to young and old. That is their song. Rujon is one of those words that's really difficult to translate. It's really a condition in your mind. It is when you are balanced. You're living your life in the way that you're supposed to be, that the good Lord, the Creator, had meant you to be who you're supposed to be. And that's what Rujon is. It is the ultimate goal of what Navajo people strive for. And it's something I struggle with every day. <laughs> with, with you right now, it would be like you look around you, everything's happy. You might not have enough to drink. Your shoes might be worn out. But you yourself, inside you, you're feeling well and you're happy. That's what Huijon is. <laughs> I hit the wall in Nevada. I was tired. I was sick of saying goodbye to people and sick of being alone. The heat, the wind, the sunburn. I was done. Every time I looked at a map, a little part of me would panic. It was like, well, it was like knowing you had to walk across the Mojave Desert and Death Valley in August, and then mountains and 600 miles to San Francisco. It was the last thing I wanted to do, but at the same time, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Hello, hello. I'm camped out underneath a bridge in Nevada, just outside of Mesquite. This heat, it's a totally different ball game than anything I've really had to deal with. Basically, it feels dangerous. <sighs> I feel like I'm on the brink, you know. I can, and I could even, I could either fall into that sense of calm, or I could freak out. I see how the desert does what it does to people, you know. Because if I if I didn't have this water. Well, if I didn't have this water, that'd be a whole other story. But, yeah, I can see how it could drive you a little nuts. It was near 110 degrees every day, so I started walking at night. I was sleep-deprived and a little delirious. Very few people stopped on the road to say hello. They must have thought it was best to just keep driving when they saw a man pushing a baby carriage in the middle of the desert. There's all kinds of walking. There's float walking when it's the easiest thing in the world, and there's urge walking when you're just desperate to stop. There's high walking when you're high, and hurt walking when you're hurt. I like weep walking the best, when all you can do is cry. I was doing two types of walking at night in Nevada. The first was dream walking, which happens when everything seems like a hallucination. The second was fear walking. I almost got lost one night in a long stretch of desert outside Mesquite. I took a back road, which turned into a dirt trail, and it kept splitting into forks. I had no idea where I was on the map. I was low on water, and when the sun came, there would be no shade. But I kept going down the dirt trail. Finally, it hit me. I could actually die out here. In fact, if I couldn't find my way back to the main road, I probably would. Before dawn... I managed to find the main road again, but I couldn't get it out of my head, the image of that desert trail winding into the darkness. From then on, I was fear walking.
finally climbed up into the Sierras, I almost didn't believe it. There were trees and lakes, and the nights were actually cold. The ocean was 200 miles away, so I could count on two hands the number of days I had until the end. I expected to feel some sort of euphoria in the last two weeks of the walk, but it wasn't that at all. I was terrified, especially when I realized there was no escaping the end. I've always known I'm going to die someday, like we all do, but I think it was only in the last two weeks of the walk that I really believed it. All the things people had been telling me about aging and grief and loss, someday my turn would actually come. And my turn with death would come, too. I had just turned 24, and death was as far away as the Pacific Ocean was from my home when I first started walking. But someday I would get there, just like I was going to get to the ocean. I stopped recording audio and taking notes. I walked each day in a weepy daze of disbelief. This is it, I kept saying. This is it. This is it, Andrew. You'll see. You will see. What have you got to lose, really? You either deny it or you accept it. It just, it just goes by. Before you know it, it's done turned around and you're there. You've got lots of grieving to do. I don't want this road to end. Run away all you want. You don't know who you are. You don't know where you're going. After you've done walk this whole way. You don't know who you are. Everything is the way it's supposed to be. It'll be a transformation. Just hang in there. The last night I spent on the road, I was camped out in the forest, 20 miles from the ocean. I set up the tent for the last time, and I ate my last dinner from the food bag. There were cars passing me on the road, and I had this thought. If I were in one of those cars right now, looking into this dark forest... I'd probably think it was a scary place. But I'm in the forest, and I know it's not a scary place. And the fears of death I'd been carrying with me, in that moment, they were gone. That night in the forest, my last night, I didn't feel so afraid of the end. On the afternoon of September 8th, 2012, I saw the Pacific Ocean. An hour more of walking, and I was there, on the beach. Mom was waiting for me, and Dad was too, and so many friends, all of them surrounding me in a big circle. Even some people I'd met along the way made it. The men from Navajo country drove from the reservation, and they led me to the water, drumming and singing a chant, and I was weep-walking, and they said that when I went through their home, they gave me a Navajo name, the boy who walks, and now I had a new name, the man who walks for us. I was speechless. I was in the water. I was floating in this dream, and there were so many voices, 4,000 miles of them. It's been six months since the ocean and the end. I'm not walking anymore, or not like that, and so sometimes I find myself forgetting everything the walk was to me. When I listen, though, I remember. And then I forget again. When I was on the road, I loved asking people what they'd say to their 23-year-old self if they could go back in time. I would tell myself three things. You know exactly what to do. There's no need to be afraid. Keep walking. You've been listening to Walking Across America, Advice for a Young Man, produced by Andrew Forstoffel with me, Jay Allison, for the public radio website transom.org. Special thanks to Vicki Merrick. Partial funding provided by the National Endowment for the Arts and the Transom Donor Fund. Music in this hour was written, performed, and recorded by Matthias Bossy, John Evans, and Carla Kilstead, with Andrew on mandolin. More at lawless-music.com. Additional music and thanks to Tin Hat. Andrew spent 11 months walking across America, wore out five pairs of shoes, spent a little less than $1,000, and recorded 85 hours of tape. 
The most unusual advice he got was from a bounty hunter who told him, if you want to be a bounty hunter, don't wear leather. The chemicals they use and the tanning will infect the wound when you get shot. Instead, you wear silk. That way, if you get hit, the strapper don't go everywhere. You always wear a silk shirt. That was Wendell Lee. Here's Andrew with more. So many people helped me while I was walking, so a big thank you to all of them. Thank you especially to the people who appeared in this hour. Billy Guy, Therese Jornlin, my mom, Woody Curry, Nettie Harlow, Hacky Pitts, Marion Furman, Vincent and Francis Bosarge, Ollie Ware, Carrie Fuget, the late Emma Lou Daly, Josh Terzio, Otho Rogers, and James and Chris Paisano. And the musicians I met were Paul, Mitch and Jen Reed, Banjo Bill, and Bo Diddley. You can find photos and background on Andrew's walk at transom.org, along with everything you need to know to record and produce your own stories. Thanks to Samantha Brown, Sidney Lewis, Sarah Reynolds, Melissa Allison, Atlantic Public Media in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, and our public radio station, WCAI. The Transom Podcast is brought to you by Atlantic Public Media, and it's made possible in part with funding from the National Endowment for the Arts and by the people who like Transom and donate to it. I'm Jay Allison for Transom.org. Drop over anytime.